0: Listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at CBCSavannah.com. If you are a uh, guest of ours, uh, welcome. My name is Bill. I'm one of the, the pastors here. We're doing something a little different for these uh, for the summer. This is last week. Next week, Clint will be back up in Matthew 14. Uh, I will be out in Richmond Hill for uh, our official launch for the Richmond Hill campus next week. So Andrew and Coleman and team are spazzing right now, which I'm kind of laughing about, to be honest with you. Better them than me. But I'm gonna be out there next week for their first official Sunday. So you can be praying for them. Uh, But we'll be back in Matthew next week. So uh, what what we've been talking about, what I've been talking about is is really the, the scriptures. And so last week we looked at why we can trust it, why we know it's true, ultimately because it's sourced in God. And here's what I want us to grasp ultimately from all of this is that we have a God, this is what should, should amaze us, that desires not just to love us, and he does, but despite the fact that you are a sinner, that you are separated from him, that this is a God who wants intimacy with you, individually, yes, as a church, we are his bride, but he wants intimacy with you Amongst the 7 billion people in the world and and all that he's got going on, you know, kind of ruling and upholding the universe and all, he desires to know you and for you to know him intimately, to know his heart, to know his mind, to speak to you, to renew you, to transform you into the image of his son. And he does so through primarily through the word of God, which we've been looking at, which he has given us, which he has preserved for us. Because uh, this is his heart. This is, this is a verse out of Revelation written to a church that's kind of left Jesus on the outside. I know some of you, you grew up in kind of the Romans Road or the you know, Campus Crusade. This was a verse that you always kind of like, all right, you need to come to Jesus because he's standing at the door and knocking of your heart, right? You've heard this? That has nothing to do with what this verse is saying, but that's great. This verse is to the church that has left Jesus outside. Can you imagine this morning, if the Lord Jesus was was physically walking the earth again, that he was outside of our door, like, hey CBC, can I come in? That's the image here, that the church that he's writing has left him outside. And so he says, "I, I stand at the door and I'm knocking. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. And the idea is table fellowship, intimacy, but there, there's 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 an outside Jesus here, and that's not what he wants. He wants to be inside, but he's not going to knock the door down. He wants there to be this idea of desire and intimacy and and welcoming, and and one of the ways we do that is through through the Word. And whenever we talk about reading the Bible or studying the Bible, the first response in the American church is typically guilt. Right? Yeah. I mean, I don't. I can't tell you how many people come up last week like, yeah. I really need to read the Bible. It, it, that's the first response. And that's not the response that we're looking for. Because I think we have this image of God. Some of you came in this morning. You didn't do your homework. Raise your hand if you didn't do your homework. Don't raise your hand, I don't wanna know. You didn't do your homework from last week. And there's this little bit of like, ah. Oh. There's a little bit of shame and guilt. right? And you, you have this image that God is standing there like this waiting It's like when my dogs run away, which is more often than i like to admit, and so when they come back, I'm like, where did you go? (laughs) Like they understand me, and they just with shame crawl into the house, because they couldn't even catch the deer that they were chasing, right? And and we have that image that God is standing here, where have you been, young man, haven't read my word in a couple weeks? And can I encourage you this morning, that's not the image of God. Would he be disappointed if you don't want to spend time with him? Yeah, because he's standing at the door knocking. But he's not mad, he's not angry, he's welcoming and he's inviting. And I want us to see that. And, and, and I think one of the reasons why sometimes we, we don't read the Bible, besides the fact that it's a spiritual battle and, and Satan wants to keep you from it because it's one of the weapons of your warfare to fight him, so of course he wants you to keep you all out of it. But I think another reason is because we don't know how. Let's be honest. I mean, we say, read your Bible, and you tried, and somewhere in between Numbers and Leviticus, you just quit, because you're like, I don't get it, and I understand that. And Let me encourage you not to start in Numbers and Leviticus, first of all. (laughs) But I I think a lot of us fail when it comes to studying the Bible, reading the Bible, because we don't have a plan of attack. So what I want to do today is give us a plan of attack, to give you a strategy, at least, to get you a starting place so that you can start seeing fruit in this area of your life so you can start, remember, we're renewing our mind so that by doing the word we may know what the will of God is, which is good and acceptable and perfect. That's where we want to go. But it starts with renewing our mind and studying the scripture. And so I want to give us a plan of attack, And I want to teach it to you, and I want to practice it, right? I just came back from a ranch in California called the JH Ranch, and one of their mottos is, I heard and I forgot, I see and I remember, I do and I understand. And so I want to do a little bit today, as much as we can with 500 people in the room, uh, so that you can at least kind of start understanding. I hope you brought a notebook, if you didn't, that's part of your homework that you failed. Big F for you, right? But you can still pay attention, go back, watch online, uh, and, and hopefully you'll pick up some things today. And I, I do want to say this, I, I'm, I'm going to teach in 40 minutes what is a full seminary class, okay? With much better teachers who are much smarter than I am, so it's okay if you just get one or two things out of this. The point is, let's just not stand still. Let's not let's not be next week where we were last week. Let's move a little bit, right? So kind of. We're going to teach you a real, a three-part method of studying your Bible. And and let me give you some, I'm going to give you some prelims up front, right? Kind of like some back-to-school things. Some of us are getting ready to go back to school. we got to go to Staples and spend $500 on things, right, uh, that we need for the first day. Let me give you five things you need to start this. That sounds overwhelming, but it's not really. And then we'll jump into the procedure and the process of this, okay? Okay. so five Ps. Number one, you need a place, Here's what I mean by that. You need a common place that's just like your place to meet with God. Now, it doesn't mean it's the only place you can talk to God, but you need a place that you can get quiet, that you can get alone, that's set apart in a way that's like, okay, this is the place where I read. Maybe it's a comfy chair in the living room, the coffee table, your office. Maybe it's outside on the porch swing. Maybe it's at the beach. I don't know, but you need a place that's kind of set apart for you that this is where me and God meet daily. That can be helpful Right? Some of you stop at the same Starbucks and get the same overpriced, overroasted drink every day, right? You can do this with your God. This is my set-apart place. You need a place. You need a plan. Okay, what I mean by that is we don't need the Holy Spirit flip here where we're just like, what am I gonna read today? <laughs> <laughs> Jeremiah, woo-hoo. Right, and then tomorrow, Haggai, All right, And there's nothing wrong. Maybe God can use that, yes. But it's better for you to have a plan. Say, so I'm going to read a proverb a day. I'm going to read a psalm a day and a gospel chapter a day. Typically, when we talk about studying the Bible, the fancy word pericope or paragraph is the basic unit of study. Because a paragraph is the whole, the whole idea of a paragraph. There's a bunch of sentences that talk about one main idea. So maybe studying just a paragraph. be Maybe it's just a verse. I don't know. But come up with a plan and then stick to the plan. Right, stick to the plan. Chapter a day, whatever it is. Next P is you need a purpose. You need the purpose. The purpose is not check the spiritual box. You know, a chapter a day keeps the devil away. You know, uh, I'm good to go. I brushed my teeth, I read my Bible, I'm a good person. Look how good I am, I read my Bible, you didn't. That's not the purpose. Why do we have the scripture? To know God. And ultimately, it's not about just getting smarter, although that's part of it, Grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, there's a knowledge piece. But ultimately, what we want to do is we want to come to the Word because it's living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, because we want to be sanctified in truth. Your word is truth. This is the way to know God, to know his heart. Right? That's the purpose that you would know your God. He wants to know with you, know you. Next P is pray. Is pray. It doesn't have to be a long prayer. It doesn't have to be this drawn out, fancy prayer. Just pray before you open the word. God, I want to meet with you. I want your spirit who inspired the word to speak to me. Show me what I need to see. Show me what I need to know, right? This is what theologians call the doctrine of illumination. The spirit, one of the spirit's many ministries is to illumine the scripture, see? That means to reveal what it means and, and how it works in your life. And, and when you come hungry, when you seek, you will find. When you knock, it will be opened unto you. Right? And so this is what separates the scholar who's, who's the Bart Ehrmans of the world, who know, for those of you who know him, who come to the Bible not to believe it, but to, critic, to be a critic and to, and to tear it down. This is the difference between that and you who say, I'm putting myself under the scripture. I wanna believe, I wanna know, I wanna do. I so said, just pray, right, pray. And then finally, patience, and this is a big one. Sometimes it can get frustrating because you're like, I don't know what this means. Or this is, this, this is, this is difficult. It takes, depending on who you ask, anywhere between one month to three months to six months to build a, quote, habit of doing something, right? So if you miss a day, you're like, oh, I'm such a bad person, don't, be patient. Give yourself some grace, And and be patient with, you know. I only have 60 seconds to read the word. Now, give yourself some time. And even in learning how to do this, it takes time. I can promise you. It's not something you pick up like, oh, but if, if uh, Jen Wilkin, who's a, a teacher in, uh, in Dallas, she says that we come to sometimes the word like, like it's an ATM, like, okay, I need 20 bucks, so I go to the word. I, I need something from God. I go to the word. I need something. I, I'm worried. I, I got the, so, so we treat it like an ATM, and she says, you should, we should treat it more like a, a long-term investment. It's just like a mutual fund, a 401K, where you're just putting a little in every day, and maybe you don't see the movement of the needle, but after 20 years, because of the compounding interest, look how much you have. And that's what we should see coming to the word is. It's an investment long-term that God is slowly transforming us into the image of his son, right? And that takes patience, right? So those are your Ps, right? That's kind of, that's the, put that in your spiritual backpack, some of those things, uh, and let's talk about this process. Let me also highlight this. When it comes to studying the Bible, which is a little bit different than reading, and I'm a big fan of all of this, when, when you study the Bible, it's probably more helpful to use a more literal translation, a more word-for-word translation. And so the, the, the kind of the top three word-for-word translations out there would be like the New American Standard, which is a little wooden. The ESV, which we use. And if you're kind of an old independent Baptist person, the new King James might be a good one for you. Uh, Although I don't like anything by King James, but that's just, some people love the King James, so that's fine. Uh, Those are more for like studying. If you want to just read, I would use the NIV and the New Living because they're more of a thought for thought, but they are helpful in just reading like big chunks. All right, so just, so we're going to be, we use the ESV because we study word for word, but just uh, wanted to give you that information. So three steps. Okay, real simple. Three steps when it comes to studying the Bible. Observation, interpretation, application. Let's talk about observation. Observation is putting the pieces together, right? What do I see, right? Some of you get frustrated when you come because you don't know what to look for. There's this great quote out of one of Sherlock Holmes' book where he's talking to Watson. It's right when they first meet and he, he deduces all these things about Watson, and Watson's like, I don't know how you know all this stuff. How do you, how do you get all this? He's like, because I observe. You see, but I observe, right? He, he, he knows what to look for. Let me give you, this is a quick, you know, some of you have done this before, so you'll get this. But this is, this is an example of sometimes we don't know what to look for. So you look at this, uh, this illusion, whatever you want to call it. How many squares do you see? Ten squares. How many think 10 squares? Raise your hand. How many see nine? How many see more than 10? Oh, some of you. So who's right, right? So you got nine, obviously. If you didn't get nine at least, then you fail, obviously. And you, some of you missed the whole big one. That's a square. That's 10, right? But then you have the top four. That's a quadrant. That's, a, that's 11. Top right four. That's 12. 13, 14. How many of you got 14? How many got more than 14? How many got Where's the 15th? We already got that one. That was number 10. Oh, the screen. Oh, see, that he's seeing, that he's seeing outside the box. Right there, that's the next Elon Musk, right there. (laughs) Very good. Actually, technically, that's probably a rectangle, so. It is a rectangle, so that's not a square. So you fail. You're not Elon Musk, all right. (laughs) But see, some of you knew what to look for, and others are like nine. It's a Rubik's Cube. Right, because you you just some we need to learn what we're supposed to be looking for, and so let me give you some categories of what we should be looking for real quickly. You can write these down, come back later. But these are just things when you come to the scripture and you're kind of studying, just look for these things. So number one, look, and this is no word. Look for key terms that you you think that's an important word, right? In the verse, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. I want to know what word means. That's kind of an important word. When I come to like Romans and it says, he is the propitiation, that's a big fancy word. What does that word mean? I need to define that word, right? That's gonna be important to the meaning of the verse. Look at pronouns. I know those are like real boring. But look at the pronouns. Is it singular? Is it plural? This is not as easy in English, right? Because you, I could be saying you. I could be pointing to you or I could be pointing to you. So sometimes you need to do a little digging, but that's significant. He, she, she. It, they, right? For instance, uh, this is is a significant verse. The helper, the Holy Spirit, third person in the Trinity, whom the Father will send in my name, he. Very interesting that the Holy Spirit is a he and that he is not an it, even though in the original language, the word spirit is in the neuter gender, which means that the article should be neuter, but yet John uses the masculine article here, which is a real fancy word for saying he's telling us that God the Holy Spirit is not an it, it is a person. That's significant. That's an observation, right? But look for key, key pronouns, things like that. Nouns, is it singular, is it plural, right? Is it fruit of the spirit? Is it fruits of the spirit? Right, these are significant. Look for repetitions, right? Things that are repeated. Uh, for instance, Psalm one thirty six: Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good; His steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods; His steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords; His steadfast love endures forever. Repetition means the author is trying to get you to see something. You think he's trying to get you to see something in Psalm one thirty six? What? His steadfast love endures forever right? Ephesians 4, there is one body, one spirit, just as you are called the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith. What's the repetition? One. You think there's significance there? Okay, it's an observation that you want to see. Words that modify other words. These are called adjectives, adverbs, right? Again, this is very grammar and some of you are like, but adjectives are where the life is. He was greatly afraid when Ehud stabs King Eglon in the gut, it smelled horribly, right? These are, these are the words that are trying to draw you into the text, right? And, and so Zacchaeus was small, Goliath was tall, and these are important to you understanding what is going on. So pay attention to the adjectives, to the atmosphere of the text. What was it like when Jesus is flipping the tables in the tabernacle, in the temple? Or when he's praying Sweating drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. What's it like for old Jonah in the middle of the fish? Is there fear? Is there joy? Is there anger? Right? Pay attention to those things. To the verbs. This is where the action of the verse is. The verbs. Right? Is it a present tense, is it a past tense, is it a future tense? It is an active voice, and means that you are doing the action or someone else is doing the action, is it passive, you are on the receiving end of the action. These are all things that you just wanna pay attention to and observe. He who believes in me has, present tense, eternal life. Is that significant, that I can have something that's eternal right now? That I was sealed, past tense, with the Holy Spirit, what's the implication there? It means, can I lose my salvation, right? Look for things that are alike, and they're not alike. That, things like similes, figures of speech. This is, again, figures of speech, metaphors, similes. A simile uses the, what, what word does a simile always use in the English? Like or as, right? Right, so, as the deer pants for water, so my soul longs for thee. Um, First Peter, like newborn babes, long for the pure miracle of the word, right? Keep your eyes out for those kind of words. I am the vine, that's a metaphor. He's not a literal vine, but I am the vine, you are the branches, right? Define what the figure of speech is and figure it out. Look for temporal markers. Then, after this, before they, that, that helps you understand the text. Prepositional phrases, fun with prepositional phrases. Who doesn't love a good prepositional phrase? Right, but they're significant. Our Father who art in heaven. Is that significant? Right, there's a significant pronoun up front too. Our Father is ours. Right, these these are important observations. Look for a contrast, right? We've looked at a big one in Romans 12. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. It's a change of direction. There's a, there's a distinction he's saying, "But you, Timothy, be sober in all things. not like them, be sober in all things." It's a contrast. Look for a condition. like, if, this, then that. right? You, however, not in the flesh, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. right? That's a big one.? Second right? Thessalonians 3:10. If anyone is not willing to work, then don't give them any food, right? That's a conditional statement. You're looking for things like that. Explanatory statements, reasonings behind. This answers the why question. You look for words like so that, that, for this reason, therefore, right? So here's a big one that everyone knows. For, there's explanation, God so loved the world, I'm gonna define what world is, that, there's a purpose statement. God loved the world so much, result, that he gave his son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For, explaining what he just said, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Really? Then why did he send him? But, contrast, in order, reason, that the world would be saved. Saved, past tense, through who? Him, personal pronoun. Who's the him? Him. Jesus, see how this works? It's, I mean, again, my eye's been doing this for 20 years, but once you start seeing these things and know what to look for, that's when the text starts to make sense more, right? So explanations, here's another one real quick. Do all things without grumbling and complaining. Why? So that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God. Cause and effect. There's a cause, there's an effect. Beatitudes, perfect example. Blessed are the, fill in the blank, for they shall be fill in the blank, right? There's a cause, there's an effect, right? Here's another one. Here's a cause and effect, perfect cause instead. Don't be deceived, God's not mocked. What a man sows, there's a the cause, that will he reap. There's the effect. Sow to the flesh, reap the flesh. Sow to the spirit, reap from the spirit, all right? Look for these things, okay? That's, I know that's fast. I hope you wrote some of them down, but that's what you're looking for, all right? That's what we want to do. Who wants to practice? Okay, great, all of you, good, We're gonna practice. I just wanna show you again how this works because remember, I do, I understand. I see and I remember, I do and I understand. We bought this whiteboard just for today. Look at this. All right, can we see that? Okay, good. Okay, My first assignment in seminary was this verse. Very first assignment. Walked in, Prof. Hendricks' class. He taught us observation. He said, all right, I want 25 observations on Acts one by next class. So we all went home excited, took three, four, five hours to do this, came in the next class. He said, all right, who got their 25? We're all proud. Woo, we got our 25. We're sitting like you guys right now, except we're paying for it, okay? And, uh, and he's like, all right, I want 25 more by the next class. And we're like, ooh, there's not even 50 words in this verse. How are we gonna do it? And we just sat there for hours and hours, and we did it, but he was teaching us uh, the, the skill of observation. So let's, let's, let's just, real, real quick, I'll walk through. I mean, I'm just gonna walk through kind of what I see real quick. Without I, I didn't do this beforehand. I didn't like write a bunch of notes down. In fact, when I don't write notes down, I usually get in trouble, but I'm gonna try to stay off the trouble list today. But, so what do we see right up front? What's that? It's a contrast, right? It's a contrast from the, whatever he said previously. What he said previously is Peter asked, hey, is this the time when you're gonna restore the kingdom? And Jesus said, it's not, it's not for you to know the times of the kingdom, but you will see power. So Jesus says, you don't need to know that, but here's what you do need to know. So we've got to contrast. You, is this singular or plural, or do you think? It's plural. He's talking to the disciples. Probably by way of application, us too. You will. What tense is that? Future tense, right? Some of you are like, I don't know, future, past, whatever, right? That's significant. That means it's not now, but it's what? It's in the future. For them anyway, the time. Receive. Power. This is a word I'm probably gonna define. It's actually the Greek word dunamis. We get our English word dynamite. Doesn't mean we have spiritual dynamite, but it is the word we get. I want to know how do I get power? That's a question I'm gonna ask of the text. And then I got when. There's a temporal marker. So I got maybe a cause and effect here, don't I? I actually do. When what? The Holy Spirit. Who is he is holy? That's an observation. Right? It's there's an article there. It's the Holy Spirit, it's not just Holy Spirit, so it's very specific. Has come. Right, that's not a a, in the Greek. That's a different tense than we usually use in English. It's not future, but here's here's your cause and effect, power with the spirit. Is that is that something that's applicable to your life? That when the spirit comes, there's power. I want to know more about that. That's where I'm going to dig, right? And then we have another cause and effect. Here's a connecting word, and those are big words. We don't pay much attention to them, but that's big. And again, you future tense, you will be, present tense, in English anyway, what? Witnesses, what is a witness? And who's witness? There's a pronoun, my, who's the my here? Jesus, Jesus is witnesses, right? There's a cause and effect, when the spirit comes on you, what's gonna happen? You're gonna be a witness, you're gonna testify to something, And now we have fun with prepositional phrases. Where? In Jerusalem. If you know anything about Acts one, where are they in Acts one? Anybody know? They're in Jerusalem, right? That's where they are right now. So he says, when the spirit comes on you, and they don't know when it's gonna happen, it's actually gonna happen about 10 days later, Uh, they're gonna be witnesses first here. But then he then says, and, connector, Another prepositional phrase, in all, ooh, that's a big one. All what? Judea and Samaria. What do we know about the Jews in Samaria? They don't like them. All right? It's like Texas and California. They do not like each other. All right? Texans don't go to California. Apparently, Californians go to Texas, but not vice versa. All right? But they don't get along. But Jesus says, hey, when the Spirit comes you're gonna be my witness in Jerusalem. They're like, yes, that's my hometown. And then he says, also in Judea and all Samaria. Ooh, don't like that. And then where else? And, another prepositional phrase, to what? The end of the earth. And you do a little more digging, and you find out this is actually the outline of the book of Acts. First, first part of the book takes place in Jerusalem. Second part takes place in Judea. And then where's the rest of it? End of the earth, Paul going all the way to Rome, which for them was the end of the earth in those days. But see, that's just a three and a half minute version of just looking at basic, I know grammar is not exciting for you, but just looking at the details of the text. And then once you got the details of the text, that's observation, and you gotta train your eye to see. Then you go to the second step, which is what does it mean, interpretation? Okay, this is where you're asking what does it mean? And there's all sorts of things. This is where it's challenging. And this is where if you were in a seminary class, they take about three weeks on observation and they take about 10 weeks on interpretation because interpretation is hard. And there's many reasons why interpretation is hard. There's all sorts of barriers. There's cultural barriers, right? We don't live 2,000 years ago. So they have different clothing and there's, there's just all sorts of different culture and customs. So why does he say, gird up the loins of your mind? I have no idea. Because I don't wear I wear khakis. I don't wear uh, a robe, and so there's a, there's a there's a cultural barrier there. There's legal barriers. Why does Boaz take off his Nike and hand it to the guy and go one footed? I don't know. That's a cultural thing, right? You have different customs. John is leaning on Jesus's chest. That's weird. Let's be honest. Why is he doing that? Right? There's domestic differences. Why is salt so significant for them? I thought salt was bad. Keep my sodium down. Jesus says, you're salt. That's good. What's the deal there? We looked at that. There's military differences. Like when you got the armor of God, why is the shield and a sword and a helmet? What is all the significance there? All sorts of cultural differences. There's literary barriers, right? You got all sorts of different, the Bible is written in different genres, poetry, apocalyptic, prophetic, epistle, Narrative, parable, which is a substantive, and, and you don't read them the same. You don't read okay. You get a letter from the IRS. How do you read that? Do you read it the same as you do as the Duncan Hines box? No, it's different, right? It's a or a text from your wife. You read them appropriately. And that's, there's, a, there's a challenge when it comes to poetry. you got to read it a certain way and understand it a certain way. There's all sorts of figurative language versus prophetic versus narrative versus epistle. And this, is, this makes it challenging sometimes to interpret. There's grammatical differences, right? Why is James so focused on good works and Paul seems to say good works is useless in Romans? Why, are they contradicting each other? What's going on there? Why is leaven in this chapter good and leaven in this chapter is bad? And so there's all sorts of grammatical things. And so here, here's the, the, the high level, if you want to interpret well, ask this one question. What did it mean to the original audience? Because when you're in college and you do a little Bible study and then you walk around, Let everyone read James 1 and you come in, okay, what does it mean to you? Horrible question. It really doesn't matter what it means to you. What did it mean to the original audience? Because then you can interpret it accurately and then you can apply to you, right? But that's what you want, is what did it mean to the original audience? And this is how you you come to the text and try to understand that. This is why you can say, okay, the Old Testament said you couldn't eat shellfish and barbecue. Well, how come we can eat shellfish and barbecue? Because what was the principle for the Old Testament saint? That they were under this old covenant that was supposed to make them distinct and holy, right they were supposed to be separate from everyone else, and so this were the kind of the rules that God had given. but the principle behind it is what holy, distinct, separate. you can eat barbecue and shellfish now because we 're under the new covenant, but the principle is the same that you are to be holy and separate and distinct, and you want to get to that original Timeless principle. What is the timeless principle that Paul, that God, that that John is trying to get across in this? And to understand that, sometimes you need to know the background of the book. This is why we always talk about the background of the books we read, right? Who is it? Who's the author? Who are they writing to? What's the situation going on? What, where is the time frame going on here? What are the customs? So we've looked at. We've been studying through Matthew. Matthew is written to the nation of Israel. Trying to show them that Jesus is the promised Messiah from the Old Testament. And so there's quotations and explanations of him being the Messiah, right? And we've seen that, that he has all authority, that he is the king. We looked at Peter. We talked about how Peter is written to a group of people who are supposed to be living as aliens, as exiles. What does that look like? Nehemiah is is written uh, during a time where the people have just let, they're just coming back into the land and Jerusalem is in shambles and there's no worship going on. And so Nehemiah is called to rebuild this wall so that we can restore the worship of Yahweh in Jerusalem. Right? Titus is written to a guy who's supposed to put in order this unruly churches on the island of Crete Paul's writing to Corinthians to, to fix all these specific issues. This guy's living in immorality. This guy's suing this guy. This guy's doing this. And so when you understand that, you can, you can, you can understand what's going on in the text, or it can at least help you get there a little easier, right? And so you want to ask the question, who's, what does what it mean to the original audience? Interpret it literally, right? Every word matters. We looked at that. Every word is inspired. So literally take it at its word. What does it say? If it says a number, it means that number, unless it's just saying it, unless there's a reason to not say that. If it says, if it's singular, if it's plural, if it's future, if it's past, then interpret it literally. Interpret it grammatically. Just because it's a supernatural book doesn't mean it doesn't follow the laws of grammar, it does. And then interpret it historically, in its context. What came right before? I mean, this verse right here, if you don't know that, Jesus said, don't worry about that, this is important. That helps understand the passage. You can make any verse say anything if you take it out of its context, just like we do. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can play basketball for the 76ers. No, you can't. Because there ain't no five, six white dudes in the NBA, right? It's talking about being content in any circumstance. That's what I can do through Christ who strengthens me. So figure it out in the context. Try to get one principle that is timeless that was true then, it's still true now, and that's when we go to the most important part, what do I do with it, application. Because just because you understand it, you're not done. And we like to substitute understanding from doing. That's what David did with Nathan, right? Remember, David's all mad when when Nathan comes and tells him the story about the sheep and the guy that kills the sheep, and then Nathan says, you're the guy who killed the sheep. Because he knew it, but he didn't do it. And James says we want to be doers of the word. No one cares how smart we are, if we, if we just know it, but we don't do it. Or we try to apply it to areas we're already applying. So we're like, God wants you to be generous. And you're already being generous in this area over here. You're like, I'm gonna apply it to that. You're already doing that. How about over here? You're, you're like, oh, I'm supposed to love my neighbor. And you're just like, my neighbor. It's kind of like when we shake hands in the church. Some of us just go to the people we know. Go shake hands with somebody new. And you look at your kid like, what's your name? Hi, how are you doing? But you, you'll do it where in the areas where you're already doing it. So there's no challenge to get out of your comfort zone. Right? Or you'll just say, well, I'm not as bad as so-and-so, so at least I'm not doing fill-in-the-blank. And those are all substitutes for application. We wanna take the principle and apply it to our lives and apply it in the context of what? Relationships, because life is relationships. Your kids, your spouse, your workers, your neighbors, your values of money and, wor- and your, how you speak and, and all these areas, right? I mean, you just don't apply it to, to some unsignificant area. Apply it to where you live. What does this mean for me going to work tomorrow? What does this mean for me going out tonight with my in-laws? What does this mean for me and how I treat uh, money and how I treat stuff? I mean, ask those questions. This is why you need patience and to sit in that for a minute, right? Take the principle and apply it to your situation. And so this is why you can take, okay, the, here's the command. Jesus says, or, or Paul says, flee immorality, right? Flee it. Now, for the original audience, that meant, you know, stay away from the temple of Artemis, What's that mean for you? It's a pretty clear principle, right? Flee immorality. So that means maybe uh, I need to get rid of the internet, or I need to stop watching that show on Netflix, or maybe I need to stop walking by that person's desk at my office. Applications are numerous. One interpretation, flee immorality. God is anti-immorality. But there's multiple applications for you, depending on your context, and you have to figure that out. What does that look like? And this is where the Spirit of God, this is why we pray up front and say, Spirit of God, please show me where in my life I need to apply flea morality, right? And so, and then I can tell you, you ask God that, you think he's gonna answer? No, I'm not gonna tell you where, I don't want you to sin. You gotta figure that out. No, he's gonna answer because he desires for you to walk in truth and walk in light. And so we do what God says, we Go out and say, okay. And this is how transformation takes place. Remember, transform by the renewing of our mind. By, by doing, by doing, we know what the will of God is. By putting it into practice. Not just by knowing. All right? What time we we? Okay, good. I got time for one practice. We got one practice. All right. Let's use, I didn't know how much time this was going to take. So I didn't write anything ahead of time, but I'm going to do. All right, so we got, uh, Let's use our verse that we looked at a few weeks ago. Okay, so we got uh, all Scripture. My handwriting is awful, but that's fine. Is breathed out by God. We'll stop right there for now. All right, what kind of? Let's just let's do the whole the whole deal. Uh, Observation, interpretation, application, just so we can do and understand. All right, so what do we see right up front? What do we see right here? All, that's a pretty big all, isn't it? All, and we talked about this last week's scripture, but if I come to the word and I don't know what that means, I'm gonna wanna define what this is. That's That's an important term, right? I'm gonna define, what is scripture? What does that entail? And it is, it's present tense there, it's breathed out. That's a, that's a word I'm gonna to define too. We looked at that. It's from the nostrils of God. And, and remember, we'll go to the background part of this. If you, if you know what 2 Timothy is about, this is Paul's last will and testament. This is kind of like, I'm gonna die soon, so I need to tell you those important things before I'm gone. Right? So this is significant. He's telling Timothy, you're the pastor. The word is vital all Scripture is inspired. Here's a pretty significant prepositional phrase, right? By who? By God. Which is what we looked at last week. The source is God. Since the source is God, here's your interpretation. It's true, right? It's true. And so, what's next? And it's profitable. It's and remember, it's is Scripture because closest antecedent. Grammar, sorry. Uh, it's profitable. That's a significant word. How many of you like things that are profitable? How many of you wanna invest your money in things that are unprofitable? I want to buy that because I know I'm gonna lose money in it. No, you're like, hey, what is that interest rate? What am I getting on that? What's the annual, is it 8%, is it 10%, is it 2%? How much am I gonna gain? I want profit. How many of you want profit? I want profit, right? So scripture is what? It's profitable. Uh, for what? A bunch of things: reproof. Now, it's my handwriting it gets horrible. Correction, training. I'm not gonna write every word because I don't have time. Training. Okay, how many of you want to be reproved? Not me. But how many need reproof? Me. It's like remember you know those lines on the on the road when you're kind of like going off. It's like you know that's what reproof is spiritually. Okay, so you're driving down the road and you're and you're. You're driving and, okay, that's reproof. You wake everybody up in the back. They're like, dad, stay on the road. Correction, this is when you have to get off the exit and go the other way. That's correction. That's 180. Training, how many of you need to be trained? Right? And at the, and at the end, and he says, so you may be adequate. Right? How many of you want to be adequate in life? That means you're, 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 it's fitting, You're ready for it. How many of you wanna go into work tomorrow, into school tomorrow, into your life tomorrow and just feel ill-equipped? Not me. I I wanna be equipped, I wanna be ready. And what's, what's Paul saying? Scripture gets you ready. Adequate for what? Good works. That's a significant portion of this verse. Does God want you to do good works, yes or no? That didn't sound too convincing. Some of you are like, I don't know, good works, that's bad in the church. Faith, I'm saved by faith. We're not talking about being saved here, people. Does God want his church to perform good works? Absolutely. What is good works? That's what you gotta ask for yourself. See, that's where application is. What does good works look like? Good works means uh, working hard tomorrow at my office. Good works means telling the truth to my parents when I don't want to. Good works means keep it under 60 on Truman, please. Don't break the law. Good works means I wanted to say that about him, but I kept my mouth shut because it wasn't helpful. That's good works. Good works means I've been talking about serving in the church for two years and I ain't done it yet. I'm gonna start. It's a a plethora, one interpretation, application. But where does that good works come from? Where do we learn good works? Scripture. And then my next step on application is this. Well, if the scripture it's sourced in God who wants to know me and renew me and it's good for me it makes profitable and even it gets sometimes and 180 sometimes but it trains me for this and since this is what God wants what do I need scripture so my application is going to be what tomorrow morning i'm going to get a place and a plan and i'm going to pray i'm going to have patience and i'm going to let god speak to my heart and teach me what he wants me to know, and that, boys and girls, <laughs> is what we want to be. In the end, what is this all about? I stand at the door and knock of your life. and if you will open the door, <laughs> I will come in and I will dine with you and you with me. My favorite one of my favorite passages in the Gospel of John is. After Jesus is resurrected, and he showed up a couple times. The disciples are out fishing, and Peter's in a boat fishing, and they see Jesus on the shore, and Peter doesn't even wait, he just jumps in the water after they catch all these fish. And and Jesus says, Children, come have breakfast with me. And this is before Peter's been restored. We haven't talked. Peter's seen Jesus a couple times, but haven't talked about that night yet. And this is when Jesus is gonna talk about that night with Peter. And but yet he wants him to eat and have fish with him and sit by this fire because that's the heart of the Savior is even though you denied me three times, even to a 12-year-old girl, I want to eat with you, Peter. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And some of you, the Lord Jesus is saying today, can we just have a bowl of Lucky Charms together and you open the word? I hadn't seen you in a while. and miss you. And so that's the encouragement. Why? Because of this. So you don't have to fear. If you're like, I, don't, I still don't get it. The one book you should buy then: "Living by the Book" by Howard Hendricks. "Living by the Book" by Howard Hendricks, who taught hermeneutics, Bible study methods for 40 plus years at Dallas Theological Seminary. It's one of the easiest reads and one of the best reads, and has homework and everything else in it. And it'll it'll be a gr- it will be worth your 7.99 on Amazon to get through that book together. Maybe do it with your. Community group, maybe do it with your, your Thursday morning Bible study at the Starbucks. It'd be worth your time, all right? All right, I've gone long enough. Class is dismissed now. Let me pray. Let you stand. And then next week, we'll be back into Normalville with uh, teaching the word. So, Father, I pray, if nothing else, that your people would be feeding on the word themselves, that they would not be dependent on me or others, but they would walk by the spirit, and feed on that which the spirit inspired for us to know you, the one true God and Jesus whom you said. That you would take every single person in this room. What would, what would it do to our lives, Lord, if, if all 500 of us in this room just spent 15, 20 minutes a day at your feet? Just like Mary, uh, sitting at the feet, listening to the master. I pray that that would be true of us. Uh, I know we are busy, but, and the enemy will try to distract us and keep us from you, but I pray that, we would see through his tactics and uh, feed ourselves with the bread of life. For man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Pray it for Christ's name and his sake.